All right. Um, we are going to be back in our series in 1 Samuel today. We paused last week uh, because it was Sanctity of Life Sunday. If you remember, we were in Psalm 139 looking at um, the case for uh, abortion and what God thinks about life in the womb. Well, now we're going to be back in our series in 1 Samuel. The title of the message today is A Friend and a Foe. Now, God has made us relational people, okay? Uh, and that's, that goes for all of you. All of you, whether you think you are less relational, you are a relational person because God is a relational God. And you and I are made in his image or we are made in his likeness. And I'm telling you today that it is of the utmost importance to have people in our life that we can call friends. God has made the body of Christ to be connected with one another. That fellowship and connection uh, is something that is non-optional for those who truly follow Jesus. And you're like, well, then why did, we, why did we do the Sunday scramble? Well, because sometimes some of you are only focused on one person when God might have more friends for you, okay? And now there is, there is for most of us, we need, we need at least, uh, you know, a one or two close friends, people that we can confide in. Uh, but some of you, maybe you don't have that. Uh, and so our goal is that you would be able to find that here, okay? And so that, that's really our heart behind that. You know, even at Jesus, right, he didn't just have one disciple. Uh, he had 12. Now, I want you to write this down. There's an old African proverb. It is not a biblical proverb, but it is wisdom nonetheless. And it says this, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And that's the reality, I believe, of the Christian walk, uh, that if we do life together with the relationships that God has put in our life, and you never know, for some of you, you might be sitting next to a complete stranger, but you just realize you like the same cereal, and maybe you just found the best friend that God has been trying to put in your life. You never know. You never know what, what God is doing, but sometimes we're closed off to what God is doing because it makes us uncomfortable, huh? It makes us feel awkward. It makes us feel like we have to go out of our comfort zone. Well, you see, life is not a sprint. Uh, it is a marathon. And I, I like the proverb, how it puts it. If you want to go far, go together. Well, today we're going to look at one of the most incredible friendships uh, in the Bible between David and Jonathan. We're also going to look uh, at David's relationship with Saul and how envy can be a powerful force to, de to destroy a relationship. Uh, two weeks ago, right, last week was Sanctity of Life Sunday, but two weeks ago, uh, we looked at one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Does anyone remember what it was? David and Goliath, right, the epic, epic story. And uh, we saw David's, right, status go from a sheep herder, a shepherd, to a military legend in the matter of uh, just a few minutes, really, a few hours, David's heart and faith in God were clearly displayed, not just in his words, right? Remember that confidence David had, but also in his actions. It was clear that he was with God and that God was with him. And so that's what we know about David, okay? Uh, he is still uh, just, you know, uh, under uh, war age at that time, which would have been under 20 years old. And uh, God is not even close to done with him. He's simply just getting started. And so this brings us to 1 Samuel 18. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and God, we thank you that you care about the friendships in our life. 
Lord, that we, we're going to look at the scriptures today and, 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 and look at some scriptures that have to do with friendships. And Lord, we know that you are the one who has designed relationship. Um, Lord, because you are a relational God. And we thank you that you have put people in our life. And Lord, I, I pray for those that maybe this is a sore subject for them, that they have been wanting a close friend. They have been wanting what David and Jonathan had. Lord, I pray today that that would become not just a desire, but a prayer. And Lord, that you would, you would grant that. Lord, that as these students grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, that it would be here that they would find some of their deepest and lifelong friendships. Lord, not just to have fun, Lord, but to push each other towards you and holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So 1 Samuel 18, you guys have your Bibles open there? 1 Samuel 18. All right. We're going to start in verse 1 and go down to verse 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at about 16 verses, uh, but we first see an unlikely friend. Okay, so this is right. I want in your mind, he has just defeated Goliath. He comes back, has a conversation with Saul, and this is where we pick up. Uh, it, it is the direct context after the story of David and Goliath. So starting in verse four, it says this. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor and even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And so we see chapter 17 ends with a discussion between Saul and David, right? After, you know, no doubt in Saul's mind, when David was going to go out there, he was going to get destroyed by Goliath, right? He's like, yeah, God bless you. Like, good, good luck out there. But David, you know, uh, kills Goliath. And so Saul's like, oh my gosh, like this is, this, there is something to this. This is something supernatural. And so of course he wants to talk to David. He's like, who are you? Like, yeah, I know you're that like guy that plays the harp for me, but I don't understand. Like you're, you, you just, you're from Bethlehem. I don't even know where that is. Right. And, and he, and he's having this conversation with him and, and David's able to, again, kind of share his heart, I think on, on why he did what he did. And there is someone who overhears it. And it's Saul's firstborn son, Jonathan. Anyone named Jonathan in here? No, we got a handful. Jonathan, everyone shout out to Jonathan. Woo uh, Jonathan is mentioned here. It is a biblical name. And Jonathan is the firstborn son of Saul. We actually saw him introduced to us back in 1 Samuel 14, uh, a chapter that actually didn't, we didn't go over together. But if you go back to chapter 14, you see that Jonathan, similar to David, uh, had an incredible faith in the Lord who initiated unthinkable battles that, that the odds were against him, yet because of his strong faith in God, uh, he pursued on behalf of the Lord. Both of these men were bold, both David and Jonathan. There was a lot of similarities here. Both of them were men of action, and both of them had a real relationship with God. However, as similar as they were in their boldness and their faith in God, they came from very different backgrounds. Think about it. Jonathan is a firstborn son 
of a king, which makes him what? He makes him heir to the throne, right? If you are a firstborn son of a king, then you are that rightful heir to that throne. So Jonathan is, in a sense, in, uh, in the plan of things, uh, supposed to one day uh, succeed Saul. Now, not everyone realizes at this point that God has rejected Saul as king, which also includes Jonathan. And David was the last born son of a shepherd. Do you see the difference? Jonathan was the crown prince, right? That's the heir to the throne. He was the one day expected to take Saul's place and David was a nobody. And this is what makes the friendship very interesting and dynamic. It seems like Jonathan, right, witnessed David killing Goliath He witnessed what David's words were, right? He wasn't just doing it because he wanted to look like the macho guy. He was doing it because of his faith in the Lord. And Jonathan saw that. And in this moment, the Bible describes for us, look at verse one, that there is an instant friendship. There's an instant relationship, Bill. Look at verse uh, one. It says that Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. You can note it down. This idea of knit to the soul. It's the idea to become attached or bound together. Do you remember last week when we looked at Psalm 139 and it described how God weaves and knits together a baby in the womb? It's the idea of, of, of being attached, right? If you're familiar with, with sewing or uh, maybe you do weaving or whatever it might be. It's the idea of two things being separate and then coming together. The same word shows up a handful of times in the book of Genesis. Once uh, was when twins were born, and they, back then, this was their way of marking, uh, when the first twin would come out, they would tie a string around the leg, right? And they would know, I don't know if they still do that, and they would know, okay, this is the first one that was born, and then the other one would come out, and that's how they would differentiate at first, right? In case they looked, of course, very similar. And that's that same word, how they would tie the, the piece of yarn to the, to the foot of the baby, right? That the, now those, those uh, things, uh, a baby and the string, uh, became attached with one another. Or the second time in Genesis is described as actually the love of a father for his son, how his love was bound up in his son. It, it speaks of deep connection. And that's the point of this, that there is this instant deep connection between Jonathan and David. And in the New Testament, Paul tells us that love is the bond. Everyone say bond. It is the bonding agent of perfection or completeness. That it is love that makes you and I whole. And Colossians 3.14 says we are to put on love, which is the bond. Everyone say bond again. No, you, got, you can't be like band, band. Okay, you got to be a bond. Everyone say bond. It, yeah, James Bond. It is the bond of completeness or perfection. And there was this instant, everyone say it again. Bond. Oh my gosh, you guys are lame today. Come on. All right, listen. There is this instant bond of completeness here. And, and, and that's what happened between David and Jonathan. We, we're told uh, twice, actually, oh, whoops. Uh, we are told twice in uh, verse one and three, look in your Bibles. It says that he, Jonathan, loved him, David, as his own soul. Think about that for a moment. That he loved him as him, 
self. And as sinful humans, the things we naturally love most is us. That sinfully, it's, it's natural. Because of our sin nature, it is naturally to love ourselves most. Think about it. We are usually the first things we think about when we wake up. We are the first person we look at in a group picture. We feed us when we are hungry. We buy what we want for ourselves and so on and so on. Naturally, because of our sin, we love us most. And to truly love another person... Not the lovey-dovey stuff, right? This is, we're talking about uh, not a romantic relationship. We're talking about a manly friendship here. And the Bible says that in a manly friendship should involve love. And that is not a, just a girly romantic thing. This is what it means to have a relationship. And to truly love another person means that you love them like you love yourself and even more. This means that you think about them rather than yourself. You think about their needs. You think about their wants. You look out for them. This is what we're described as the love of God. It's not a self, uh, selfish love. It is a selfless love. We're dis- uh, described how Jesus loved and how we are uh, in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Notice, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's love. That's friendship. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I think so often you and I have the idea of friendship backwards. I know for years when I was in high school and I started walking with the Lord, I looked at friendship through a selfish lens. And I looked at friendship of of what can you offer me? And even it was a spiritual thing at the time for me in high school. I looked at how are you gonna impact my walk with the Lord? And it was always about me. It was how, how do you fit with me? And we tend to think in friendships of what can that person do for me? What can they offer me? What do they have in common with me? What is in it for me? Why do I want to be their friend? And we wonder why our relationships aren't very deep. We wonder why we don't have friendships. When, when we look at people, we think, what can you give me? You see, I believe true biblical friendship does not happen through what can you offer me, but what can I offer you? How can I serve you? How can I love you? You see, I think a very biblical concept, and it might sound cheesy, is that you and I have to be the friends that we want. Do you want a friend? Do you want someone that you can rely on? And I'm not just talking about like, oh, I say hi to him on Sundays. No, do you want a friend that you can rely on? Do you want a friend that when you experience death in the family, that you can go to them and you know they're going to pray for you? You know that, that they're going to be able to keep a secret, that you know that they're able to be there for you, not just in the easy times, but the difficult times. Well, you have to be that friend. It first starts with a selfless love. And this is a very biblical, very, very biblical idea. Proverbs 18.24 says this, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. Don't you like that? Are you guys looking on the screen? That's an amazing thing. I love the simplicity of the Bible. You're like, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. You're like, duh. But sometimes we don't get that. 
we, we, we come into maybe the room or we, we, we live our life in a way that we think to ourselves, you know, oh my, my, why don't I have any friends? No one really cares about me. But we're not looking at whose friend we can be. We're not looking at how we can uh, do something for someone else. But there, the Bible goes on here, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Don't you guys want that? Yeah. Or a sister, okay, for those ladies out there. I know for me, there's people in my life that are closer to me than even, even my, my blood siblings because I can trust them. But that's not going to happen based upon what can they give me. It doesn't, doesn't the Bible just make sense? A man or woman who wants to have friends must himself be friendly. But, but we don't do this all the time. We get, we get sad and we might get down. Man, I don't have any friends. Are you a friendly person? Are you someone who someone else would want to be your friend? Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great poet, says this. I want you to note it down. It's very, it's very simple but profound. The only way to have... Okay, who, whose phone is going off? Come on. All right, thank you. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, the only way, note it down, the only way to have a friend is to be one. And it's pretty simple, but isn't that true? But do we look at friendship like this? What do you, think about it just for a moment, what do you want in a friend? Don't say it out loud, but what do you want in a friend? Well, being that to those Beginning to be that to those around you, I would challenge you to do that. Begin what you would want. I, I wish I had a friend that was like this, that he was there, he was reachable, she was trustworthy, she wouldn't stab me behind my back, she wouldn't talk to me about to other people, whatever it might be, you begin being that to the people around you. Who's in your life? Well, I can tell you right now, these people are in your life, okay? And I don't know what your situation at home or who you see, but you begin to be the friend that you want and you see what God does. And, and we see out of this instant friendship uh, comes two things. And I want you to note down the first. Uh, in verse three, we see out of this friendship comes a loyal shake, okay? And no, not like chocolate, all right? Uh, shake as in handshake. We see out of this comes an agreement, a covenant. Look at verse three in your Bibles. Verse three, it says this, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. That word covenant, it means to agree to a committed relationship, to, to come together and agree. It's like a compact or an agreement or an alliance. It's the fact that saying, I'm going to have your back and you're going to have mine. And it might sound weird. It's like, that sounds, that sounds weird if I did that with my friend. No, I think it's a good thing. You don't have to like call it like, we're going to make a covenant between us and the Lord. Okay, no, no. But there should be this idea. What it communicates is the idea of loyalty. That they had a handshake and it was the understanding, I'm going to have your back and you're going to have my back. It's this understanding of faithfulness. It's that same word that we read when God would make a covenant with the people of Israel. First and foremost, when God would make a covenant with Abraham, this was a mutual agreement of loyalty and commitment. It is the idea that you are in it for the, the long haul, not just a moment. Have you guys ever been on vacation before? I remember when I was a kid, you know, it, depending on the vacation that we went to, sometimes like, okay, uh, I, I can't remember specific details. But I remember at times when we go on vacation, have you ever like made like a vacation friend? 
Yes. No, yeah. Where you're like somewhere and there's like this kid there and you like start to get to know him. You're like playing on the same playground or like maybe you had a, you know, uh, vacation in Disney World and you saw the same. And then you would hang out with that person. You're never going to see that person again. That's not, that's not the type of friend that I'm talking about. It's not just, oh, I, I, have, I have a good time with them. No, what this is talking about is, is friendship that is loyal. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity or difficult times. A sister, a brother, someone that's close. Loyalty is extremely important. To be there when the going gets hard. I think sometimes we just have these friendships, and they're just, they're kind of like, yeah, I, I like hanging out with them. I like playing video games with them. It's not a friendship. Friendship is about loyalty. And it doesn't mean there has to be this like, you know, it's not like, you know, me and Mark, good friends, Kevin, Daniel. It's not like I have to like sit down with Mark and be like, here, this is this loyal shake and we're, you know, we're, I'm going to have your back. No, it, it, it happens more natural than that. But it's this realization that there's this dependability. There's this loyalty. And not only was there this loyal shake, but I want you to note down in verse four, there was a selfless act. This one's big. Not just a loyal shake that came out of this instant friendship, but, but a selfless act. We are told after this covenant was made that Jonathan begins to take off his royal robe and begins to put it on David, right? Because remember, Jonathan's not just some no one. This guy is the crown prince. This guy is the heir to the throne in all of Israel. He's a big deal. People knew him. People understood that he would one day take his father's throne. And he would no doubt oftentimes be wearing royal garments. And the Bible describes that he took off his robe and he put it on David. He takes his armor off, his sword and his bow and his belt, and he gives it to David. Now, without a doubt, this stuff that he was giving him was a very nice quality. Yet, it was more than just a nice, nice gift for David. It was a symbol of something bigger that he was saying. Remember what I've been emphasizing. Jonathan is the heir to the throne of his father Saul, yet Jonathan recognized God's call upon the life of David to be God's choice for the king. You see, essentially, what Jonathan is telling David by this action is saying that he's going to be the next king of Israel. Even though, and that's why this point is called the unlikely friend. The last person that you would think would be friends with David would be the, the one to whom's throne he should be taking. Yet Jonathan didn't act and that's, that's my right. You're never going to get that throne. Oh, you defeated Goliath. No, Jonathan wasn't like that. He recognized God's call in his life and in humility, think about the humility and faith this took that before Jonathan ever even had the throne, that he gave up his right to it. He acted in absolute selflessness, trusting God for the future and being willing to lay down what was his for David. See, Jonathan, we can note down, Jonathan gave in a way without expecting something in return. That's friendship. All right, I think far too often, and I'm guilty of it myself, we look at our friends of what can you give me rather than what can I give you? And I remember the moment in high school where I stopped looking at relationships of what is that guy gonna offer me? What, what is she gonna do for me? But rather I just committed, Lord, what, 
in this realm of friendships, I, I don't have anyone that I'm close to. I feel like I don't have anyone that I can trust. It's because of my selfishness, really. You know, I, I remember praying prayers of God. I, I, I want someone I can just do life with. I want someone that I can trust and rely on. And God was faithful to supply those friends when I got my eyes off myself and how I can serve others. My eyes started opening. Oh my gosh, I have friends around me, but I've been about myself. Friendship is something given to us by God. It is his design. No one came up with it. This, this is from the very beginning. Proverbs 29, uh, sorry, 27 verses 9 and 10. You can note it down. It says, ointment and perfume delight the heart. Who likes to smell good? Some of you guys maybe should use a little bit ointment and perfume, okay? If, if y'all not wearing deodorant by junior high, you ask your mom, mom, I need some deodorant, okay? Uh, <clears throat> some of you boys, okay? Make sure you're wearing deodorant. And that's, and that's because it's a delightful smell. And the, other, the opposite is not so delightful. And, I, you know, I like good smells. And, but it says here, the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. I was talking to some people, taking a little survey before service, and I was encouraging them, saying that, look, friendship isn't just about, I have fun with that person. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's, can I go to them for hearty counsel? You see, God has put people in your life, not just to have a good time with, but so that you can influence them, so that you can be God's person in, in their life that can speak into them. That when they start being a knucklehead, you can say, hey, the word of God says this, like, what are you doing? I know I need those people in my life, and you need those people in your life. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says this. Later, this would be David's own son will write about companionship, uh, friendship. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. It's a good word. See, friendship is important. But the Bible does warn, okay? As much as the Bible talks about friendship, uh, the Bible also warns about friendship. Proverbs 20, uh, 12, verse 26 says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Okay, you shouldn't just confide and, and, and trust and, and share deep things with anyone. I truly believe if you are a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ, your closest friends should not be unbelievers, how could you say that? Look, I'm not saying don't be friends with them. Bring them to the Lord. Keep encouraging them. Tell them. But there's going to be some things that you simply can't share with them. There's going to be some things that they simply cannot get. They can't invest into you spiritually. God can't use them in your life to encourage you through the word. Look, have, you need to have friends that are not saved because God has put you in their life to bring them to Jesus. But there is a wall that is built until they're a believer. There are some things that you just can't share with them. And so you need to pick your friends wisely. See, you and I are not made to do life alone. We were created for relationship. And God puts certain people in our life that we click with. There's some of you that have that. I see your friendships around here. Hold on to them. Love them selflessly. Put them first. Be loyal even in hard situations. Give and don't expect anything in return. But for the question, maybe for some of you guys, this is a difficult area because you feel like this is an area that you lack in. Maybe it's been a prayer of yours. The question is, are you being this kind of friend? Are you being the friend that you desire? Well, 
Jonathan and David are an excellent example to us of what friendship is and what it looks like. Uh, But then we also see David's relationship uh, with, whoops, we're not going to look at that today. Uh, David's relationship with Saul. And our second point is not just an unlikely friend, it is an envious foe. Uh, David now moves from being Saul's favorite to being Saul's enemy, his foe, right? I don't know if you know what that means, but it's it's enemy. And we're going to see that as much as friendship is important, there are things that can destroy relationships. And I think one of the, the biggest things is not just selfishness, but it is envy, which is, of course is rooted in pride and selfishness. But you guys have your Bible still open? We're going to read down. Now, we, we read verses 1 through 4 about David and Jonathan. But now we're going to read from verses uh, 5 to uh, 16 or so. It says this, So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So it was a really good relationship at first, right? Remember, David had played the harp for him. I mean, now David is like this, you know, this mighty warrior for Saul. He puts him over these commanders. And then verse 6, it says, Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, so that as he's coming home, that the women had come out all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women, the women, they sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me, they've ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul, notice verse 9, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God uh, came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. Notice verse 11, and Saul cast a spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice, which means he tried to do it two times. Now, Saul was afraid of David. You're like, what? Wait, why is Saul afraid of David? Well, it's because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over only a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Have you guys ever had a parent dislike a a friend that you consider to be close? It's always a bummer uh, where it's like, no, like this is a close friend, but they already like, they did something to you maybe back in the day, but now they're a close friend. Well, uh, David now finds himself in that situation, right? Jonathan is now considered, right, his best friend, this close, this instant relationship that happened, this covenant between them. Uh, And now Saul begins not to like David so much, right? After Goliath's defeat, uh, Saul basically doesn't allow David to go home anymore. Uh, remember how he was kind of going back and forth before Goliath? He was, he was at home taking care of the sheep, but then he would also come and uh, be in Saul's presence. Well, now he's like, no, like you defeated Goliath. Like we need you on our side. And he made him the commander uh, over all of his armies. And he began to be very uh, successful, so that the people of Israel started singing this song. There's like this 
song that caught on, and they were all singing it. You know, yeah, Saul's great, uh, but David, I mean, he literally killed Goliath. Like, this, guy is, this guy's owning people, right? And so they started, like, really, David started getting popular. His uh, fame began to spread. And this, the Bible says, displeased Saul and made him very angry. Well, why? It's because David was getting more credit than Saul did. And right here, right in this moment, This is going to be years of, right, David running from Saul, but this is when it begins. This is when jealousy and envy begin brewing in the heart of Saul. You see, Saul felt intimidated. He felt intimidated by a 20-year-old, and he's he's an older man at this point. You see, he knew his intimidation, the reason for that is he realized that God left him. He knew what God had said, the throne's no longer yours. Is this when he started thinking, is David my replacement? It seems like it. He started having these thoughts that, and his throne felt threatened, and so it should have. And so the Bible says that Saul from this day forward began to eye David from that day forward. You see, Saul's pride was hurt. Something I want you to note down is that jealousy and pride, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. I mean, they, they go together like peanut butter and chocolate, which I think goes better together than even peanut butter and jelly. Pride and jealousy go together because the reason that someone is envious is because of their pride. It's because they see someone else and they think they should be that. Why, is, why do they get that? Well, Saul's inward jealousy, right? At first it was just inward. The Bible says that he eyed him. So he just started like, just started noticing him, you know? Started saying like, what are they saying about David? What is he doing today? Where's David today? And he started thinking about him. And it was inward. But Saul's inward jealousy began to turn to outward attacks. And this is the journey that jealousy and pride take you. Oh, it's only, I only have those thoughts inside. Sin that's inside that you meditate on always comes out. That's how it works. It grows. That's what James 1 tells us that sin grows. And you think, oh no, I have it under control. I'm not telling anyone I'm envious of this, per- of this person, this person in my life. But for Saul, I mean, think, think how fast things escalated. Where now he's like thinking this. David doesn't even know that he's thinking this. He's just like, yeah, I'm doing what I, you know, I'm not shepherding sheep. Like I'm the commander of, you know, he thinks things are good with him and Saul. And so there's a day that Saul's not feeling too good. And so, you know, David's still like playing music for him. He's in his house. He's, he's a part of what's going on. And so David's playing music and Saul's got this spear in his hand. I don't know why he had this spear in his hand. I don't know if that's like a kingly thing or what. And the Bible just says that it, it boils to the point where he just, he, he tries to kill David. He literally throws the spear at him and miss. I don't know if that's, uh, I think it's both God's providence and David's, uh, you know, we, we found out pretty pretty good on his feet. And then, but notice it happened twice, which I, in my mind, I'm like, wait, why didn't David just like pick up the the spear and like throw it back at him? It's almost like Saul either got another spear or he went back, picked up that, and he's like, let me try again. But the the Bible says that David escaped from his presence. It's kind of like that, if you remember in the gospels, when they have Jesus pinned and they're like, they were going to throw him off a cliff and then Jesus escaped his presence. It's, It's this God thing. And we see that obviously God was with David. And so this just creates more envy and jealousy and, and just, he, he's intimidated. You see, the Bible warns against the dangers of jealousy. The Bible calls it envy. Job 5.2 says this, for wrath kills a foolish man 
And envy slays a simple one. We think we can handle it. It's something that will come out. Proverbs 14.30 says this, envy is rottenness to the bones. You guys ever touch something that's rotten? Whether you like, you're like so excited for like this pear, right? That's like in your, in your fridge and you like reach your hand and then you come and your hand's just like wet. It's just like so rotten. Have you guys ever experienced that? Any of you guys have gone to God's pantry with us? No, I don't think we've done that in a little while. Yeah, who, who God's pantry? Uh, I remember we, we would go and, and help um, basically distribute food to those in need. And sometimes you get stuff and it's not so, it's not so pleasant. Sometimes you can reach your hand in the, you know, the, the bucket of zucchinis and you pull it out and it's just, you know, what once was a zucchini is just now mush. Um, or, or, okay, what about this? What about when a pumpkin turns rotten, right? You, you carve a pumpkin, you leave it out there for too long and then you take it and it's just, you guys ever experienced that? No? Yeah. Well, the Bible says that envy is rottenness to the bones, meaning it physically affects you. I believe what the Bible teaches about this jealousy that we might have for someone in our heart, it can affect us physically. I want you to note down as well, James 3, uh, verses 14 through 16, says this, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. It is earthly, sensual, and demonic. The envy is a demonic thing. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And doesn't that kind of seem like where Saul's at? He's almost like confused. He's like throwing spears at the person who's playing music for him. And he's just like, he's not thinking right. And if envy and bitterness towards someone in our heart, if we allow that to grow, confusion and every evil thing exists there. Now, don't you see the great contrast, right? A friend and a foe. You see the contrast. Though Jonathan and Saul are related, though they're father and son, there's a great difference. And the difference is love, right? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love does not envy. And so for Jonathan, he knew that David was his replacement, but he wasn't envious. He actually submitted himself to that fact. And love is a great difference. Love is always about the other, and envy is always about self, right? Jealousy is always not, not excited that that person was able to do that thing or experience that or uh, whatever it might be. It's always about self. And ultimately, this caused separation in the relationship between David and Saul, right? They, they were close at first. He was playing music for him. He was his mighty warrior. He put him commander. But then Saul was just like, I don't know what to do. This guy's like, I, I tried to kill him twice and that didn't work. So I'm just going to put him as now captain only over a thousand. He demotes him. And so Saul is now fully consumed with his jealousy, throwing spears. But for David, this doesn't phase him. We see, we, we see David goes on to continue walking with the Lord. But uh, just as a, as a warning and an encouragement, exhortation to you guys, we need to be careful regarding unchecked envy in our relationships with one another. So anyway, is there someone in your life that you just kind of have your eye on? It's like, man, they, they just always have the, the upper hand. This is what can destroy relationships. The Bible says here, pursue peace with all people and holiness, which, which, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God 
lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. You see, the Bible describes bitterness towards someone else as a root. And guess what roots do? They grow. And so if you keep feeding that bitterness, you don't surrender that to the Lord, then that's something that's going to grow in you and come out of you. The Bible says that by this many become defiled. So you got that, right? We looked at the friendship between David and Jonathan and this uh, difficult relationship between David and Saul. One final thought I want to lead you with, uh, and that's David's secret sauce. You guys like secret sauce? I, if, we go, if I go anywhere, if they have like secret sauce on their menu, like I want that. I don't know what that is, but I want it. Uh, you know, yeah, cane sauce, man, it's like secret sauce. I don't know, some of you wish they had ranch, but... Uh, what is David's secret sauce or what is his secret to success? Well, something I, that happens in this chapter that can be easily looked over, I want to show you very quickly and we'll, we'll close and close on in a song of worship. Look at verse five. Look at verse five. You guys still have your Bibles open? Notice it says, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. Everyone say behaved wisely. Okay, now look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, and David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Everyone say, behaved wisely. wisely. All right, now check out the very last verse in the chapter, verse 30. It says, then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Now I want to share with you, what, what does that mean that David behaved wisely. Well, what I want to share with you is that David's secret sauce was that. So what, what does that mean? Well, what's interesting about these two words that he behaved wisely, it both includes the behavior and the result. Okay, I want you to write that down. So behaved wisely is both the behavior and the result. Actually, that word in a lot of other translation, it means to prosper, that David thrived. David made steady, favorable progress. David succeeded. But you see, his success and prospering was due to his wise behavior. Verse 14 really lays it out well. Look at verse 14 in your Bibles. It says that David behaved wisely and the Lord was with him. And guys, that's the key. That's the secret sauce. That's how he was able to behave wisely, was that the Lord was with him. And this is a twofold part that we see all throughout the Bible. What was the secret sauce to Abraham or to Moses or these great men of faith? It's that they had God's presence and they responded to God's presence in their life. That the Lord was with them and they responded accordingly. We see all over, whether it's in Joshua, we won't look at that today, or 2 Kings, uh, for King Hezekiah, the Lord was with him and he prospered where he went. You see, David knew the Lord was with him and simply obeyed what God had said to do. And this is what brought David real success on the battlefield. He was a mighty warrior. He was unstoppable. And for us, as this is what we need to commit to. Everyone look up here. This is what we need to commit to today. No, no matter what you do, right? Because David, he went out, it says that he went out and behaved wisely. He went out and behaved wisely and the Lord was with him. I want to encourage you to commit to no matter what you do in life, whether you want to become a teacher, police officer, 
a nurse, an astronaut, president of the United States, whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter what you do. It matters who you do it with. Okay, God might be calling a lot of you to different areas, doing different things. There's different callings on your life. Maybe it's missionary. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's to be involved in children's ministry. Whatever it might be, it's not about what you do. It is about who you do it with. And the Bible says that no matter where he went, that David behaved wisely. Now, we're going to end, but we're going to end with Jesus because that's what the Bible is all about. Remember, I've shared with you before, ladies, you can pay attention, please, up front. Thank you. Ladies, stop talking. Thank you. I hear you. I'm right here. Jesus' conclusion, okay? That, that every Bible story that we read, David and Goliath, no matter what it is in the Bible, the Bible says of itself that every passage, every verse is about Jesus. Well, think about what we just read, right? We read about a friend and a foe. We read about a friend and an enemy. And it made me think as I was studying for this that in looking at this, we can see God's work in our own lives. That the Bible describes that God took us from being his enemy to being his friend. I want to share with you just two verses as we close. Romans 5.10 says, for if we were enemies, then we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Sometimes we don't think about this, but without Jesus, a non-believer, God considers them his enemy. And you're like, doesn't he love them? Yeah, he loves his enemies, but they have sinned against him. They are against him, yet God has reconciled us, brought us back. And not only now were we once enemies of God, but because of Jesus, he no longer calls us servants. He no longer even just calls us enemies, But the Bible describes that you and I, he's not just our Lord and our master, our father, but Jesus would even describe himself to us as our friend. Friendship is something, remember, is given to us by God. No man is an island. When someone says, maybe you've heard people, maybe you've said this, um, maybe you've heard someone say, I'm 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 just not really a people person. I just kind of stick to myself. Uh, It's simply not true. God has made everyone a people person. You and I are people people, okay? And I don't care what you say. Usually when people say I'm not a people person, yeah, I just like, you know, okay, crowds is one thing. But you're like, yeah, I just don't like to have friends. I don't need anyone in my life. It's not true. You're saying that out of hurt. You're saying that because that is really the one thing that you desire because God has made you like that. That's why God wants a relationship with us. He knows we need it. That's why God has put family and friends in our lives. But guys, remember, friendship is not about what you can get out of it, but what you can put in. It's about loyalty and true selfless love. And so uh, worship team, you can come out, you can get the lights. And so for you guys, is there, is there any undealt with bitterness or envy festering within in your own heart? I would say for probably most of you, there's not. But think about it. God wants to deal with that today. Is there anyone in in your life that that you've just been letting a a bitterness and jealousy towards uh, begin to grow and fester? I want to encourage you to give that to the Lord. Tell him about it. Say, God, I have this. And you can be honest with God. You know that, right? You can be real with him. God, I, I have this envy and I don't want it to come out. I don't want to begin to make decisions based upon how I feel towards someone else. Lord, would you, would you forgive me of my sin and would you, would you cleanse me? Would you take that away?
God's faithful to do that. Sometimes it's in, in an instant, and sometimes, usually, it's a process. It's called sanctification. It's called us becoming more like Jesus. Now, maybe today, no doubt in my mind, as I've been praying for you guys this week, that you don't have any friends like Jonathan. Yeah, you have people you know. You have people that you talk to. But you don't have a Jonathan in your life. And you want one. Maybe it's been a prayer. Maybe it's been something difficult. I want to encourage you with two things, okay? What we already talked about. You, you begin being the friend that you want. You want a Jonathan, you start to be Jonathan to other people. Love selflessly. Be loyal. Right? Loved him as his own soul. And number two, you start really praying. So I ask, Lord, would you, would you put someone in my life? Oftentimes, sometimes I think we pray prayers and then God answers them and we don't do anything about it. Right? He, he, he makes uh, junior high service, he makes you switch around with people and rather than actually talking to the person next to you, you just say, this is awkward and uncomfortable, I'm not going to do it. And maybe that was the exact person God was trying to put in your life and you ignored it. You can't go back, but you can move forward. And so you, you make the most of every opportunity. You begin praying and you begin being the friend that you would want. And you'll see God move in your life like never before. It's awesome. Lord, we, we thank you that you have brought us from death to life, that we were once enemies of you at the cross, but as we're about to sing, Lord, you have brought us victory, and not by our own doing, Lord, but by yours upon that cross, that we went from enemies to a friend by the simple prayer of commitment and loyalty towards you, that we've called on the name of the Lord. We thank you that there is no greater friend than the friend that we have in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you don't have us live life on our own. Lord, but you are God of relationship. Lord, would we, would we be, Lord, the friend that you want us to be to those in our lives? It would not be fake. Lord, that you would create in us a new heart, Lord, to love selflessly and to, Lord, just commit to loyalty. We love you, God, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. amen.